Well, good morning, church. I hope and pray that you had a great Thanksgiving, whether, again, you were with a group of people or you were just maybe with another person or two. Uh, I hope you had a good celebration in which you were able to give God thanks for the many things that you have. As we approach our final week in the Rooted series, um, I, I hope and pray that this has been spiritually encouraging for you. It's been uplifting. It's been challenging. It's Christianity really 101, getting us back to the basics and helping us understand what this church believes. And, and, and if you had the workbook and you went through it, and it was like, oh, this was really good, and you missed it, we still got more. But um, even Sunday morning services, I, I pray that in some way or another it has challenged you. You know, I look forward to Advent. I look forward to the holiday season. So we kick that off next week. But as we finish strong this week, you're going to find out it's all about the church. That's where it comes to at the very end is the church. Before we get into that and dig into some scripture, uh, I want you just to imagine with me uh, having a pass to Cedar Point. Not just a season pass, but the ultimate package pass. I had a conversation with somebody after the first service and said, I've got a season pass, but there's also another level above that. And uh, I made sure I got my facts straight. So I was just thinking about having that ultimate package pass um, to where you can go whenever you want to Cedar Point. Except right now, I guess it's closed for the season. But when it is open, you can go in and out whatever time of the day. Matter of fact, with that ultimate package, you can actually go in a little bit earlier and you can stay a little bit longer than everybody else. You get a discount on food. You get a discount on maybe some of the souvenirs. You get to maybe get to a little bit of knowledge about behind some of the scenes that nobody else knows how the roller coaster was made. What's the next attraction that's coming? So there's all this that you get to have. And here's the, I wonder, I don't know if this is true, but maybe with that season pass, maybe you get to find out too if you're going to go over and play those games, you know, you spend some money on, like win a prize. Maybe they'll give you the hint on how to win some of those games. I don't know. But with that season pass, I mean, it would be a blast. But here's the thing. It would make no sense whatsoever to own a season pass and never go. Wouldn't you agree? It's like, I've got a season pass. Have you gone? No. I've got a season pass. Have you experienced the roller coaster? No, I've never been in there. You have access to experiencing something incredible. I mean, you've read online. You've, you've, you know all about the park, and, and this is great, but don't you want to go experience it now? I would hope the answer to that would be yes. I would want to experience this. Church, listen to me very carefully. In your hands, you hold access to the most incredible past whatsoever. The question is, are you experiencing it? It's one thing to know God's word. It's another thing to live God's word. It's one thing to know about the Bible. It's another thing to experience God's work within us. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. There are in this book, the book of Ephesians, as well as many other books throughout the Bible and the New Testament, a lot of teaching in the first few chapters of a book. And then in the final chapter is the application of the book. And you're going to see how the theological truths are expanded upon here in, in, in previous chapters, and then you're going to get some application. But one of the greatest truths that we will ever discover in the Bible is that God wants to have a relationship with you, but sin has separated us. We have no access to God whatsoever. But Jesus Christ came to give us access. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood was shed, a sacrifice was made, 
And when he died, it says in the temple, the veil was torn into. See, there's this huge curtain that separated the holies from the holiest of holies. Nobody could go in there. I mean, that's, you did not have access to God. You had to go through the priest, right? But when Jesus died, it says the curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom, from God down to us. It was torn in two, and there was access now to the Heavenly Father. The book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 10, tells more about that directly. But if you think about this, Jesus Christ, the truth is, came to sort of be our high priest, to give us direct access to the God. For instance, uh, this morning, if you can imagine that there's no center aisle here, but then let's say... And in a miraculous moment, something happens, and all of a sudden, the aisle parts, right? And I'm off the stage, and our Heavenly Father is up here, and we can't really look upon Him. But here's the thing. Thanks to Jesus Christ, a direct access was made to Him. That's how maybe you can visually see this happening. Spiritually, we, we learn all about this in, in uh, Hebrews 10. And it's a, it's a truth that we need to understand, that we have direct access to the God of this world. With the truth that we are saved and we have this new relationship, we now have a new life we can live. It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to live it out. And often when you're reading in Scripture, like I said, you get the truth, like in Ephesians, get the truth for this, here's the truth, and then, hey, here's how to go live it out. But I want you to think about the flip side of this coin. We don't just say, um, go out and just do things without purpose. There, there's usually purpose behind the things we do. When you show up at work the first day, you go to your boss, and you're just like, what is it you want me to do, right? Because it's like, I need to get to work right away. But here's the thing. It'd be good to know why you're going to do what you're going to do. Because once you know why you're supposed to do this, it makes doing it a lot more worth it. Let me give you an example. This past summer, the mission team, uh, youth group, went down to Charlotte. We worked at Hope Haven and Samaritan's Feet, two incredible mission agencies. At the end of the day, one day, it was super hot, as it would be in Charlotte, about 3.30 in the afternoon. And our team leader says, hey, I've got another project for you uh, that we're going to do. We're going to help out my dad. He's a baseball coach, and the baseball fields need to be worked, and dugouts need to be painted, and so forth. So, all right. So we all go there. And, in, and at first, it was like, let's do this. But then we got there, and in the heat, and the hot, and we're sweating, and we're thinking, we're working this baseball coach's field for free, and it's, it's her dad. So are we getting used here? I mean, this isn't Samaritan's Feet. This isn't whole pavement. You know what I'm saying? So we, you sort of felt like, is she taking advantage of her position? That was sort of going on in maybe some of our minds or maybe mine. Um, but as we worked for about an hour and a half and some of us started to get sunburned, you know, and, and working up a sweat, we finish up. We go up into the shade. And uh, our team leader, her dad is there, and he, he'd been working out with us as well. He says, let me tell you the story behind this baseball field and what you just did. You see, last year, and I can't remember the exact timing on this, but there's a gentleman who said, I'm starting a baseball program. Multiple teams. I just, if you can sign up, you try out. Um, it's going to cost X amount of dollars, hundreds if not thousands per player. So, you know, the parents are like, hey, I want to sign my kid up for baseball. I'll pay out all this money. We're going to have uniforms. We're going to have a place to play. We're going to have a season, a schedule, and everything. Well, once that gentleman collected all that money from dozens and dozens of kids, he took the money and ran. Left all these kids, no baseball uniforms, no schedule, no place to play, and... That's that. This gentleman, who's not even related to any of it, steps in and hears about it and says, 
that stinks. I feel bad for these kids, so I'm going to take some of my own money and invest and, and help these kids play. So the ball field that we were working was a ball field that he found in conjunction with the school that said they could use it, but it needed to be cleaned up. So we were helping him to help all these kids. Now, if he would have started with that story before we started raking the fields and painting the it would have been so much better, right? We probably would have worked twice as harder had I known why we were doing what we were doing. We were just doing it and sort of grumbling about it. I think that's the way Christians are a lot of times. I got to go live for the Lord. Blah, 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 blah. But if we were to understand what it means to be living under the grace and mercy of God and what he did for us, I would gladly serve my Savior. It's good to know the both directions on this one. This is why we're going through this series called Rooted. We need to have a firm foundation rooted in truth so that we can grow and produce fruit. If the soil is rocky, if the soil is polluted, then there is not going to be any kind of fruition whatsoever. Uh, as a group of people, this church, we are trying to be loving and forgiving. We're trying to be joyful and full of peace and love. But if our foundation is corrupt, that stuff will never happen. Foundation is important, but then living it out is just as important. They go right together. So this is where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2 of the Bible. It's important to know both what we believe and how we can experience what we believe. And one of the greatest means of experiencing truth is here in the church. One of the greatest ways you can live out your faith is with other believers. That's what Acts chapter 2.42 is all about when we, we read through that scripture. And when we get to this point right here, understand then who's the church, I have three simple questions for you. I'll put them on the screen. Uh, I'm going to answer this in about a minute. So here's the thing. These answers can go really in depth. It, it can be spent, you know, people write books about this kind of stuff, okay? I'm going to just fly over this really quick. Here's the first question. Who is the church? In a nutshell, we would say that the church is a body of believers, people who have placed their faith in God through Jesus Christ. We worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We worship the God of the Bible. That's the church, the body of believers. Here's the second one. What, what does the church do together or corporately? Again, brief answer. We've basically come together to worship God in song and prayer and reading of the scripture, serving, uh, loving one another, Communion, baptism, these are things that we do collectively together. What does the church do individually? Okay, let's understand that, first of all, we are members of one house, one body. We, we, we don't attend church. We, we are the church. We belong to the church. Um, you think about how does this all happen? That's why you're in the book of Ephesians right now. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. And we will start in verse 13. Starts with this. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Uh, as we're reading this, I want you to look for words like united, together, anything that's signifying unity. Okay? But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Verse 15 says, He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. 
He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Verse 16. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. We need to read that a sentence, that verse again, because that verse is way overlooked in today's body of Christ. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. Look at this. And our, our hostility towards each other has been put to death. A lot of us still live with hostility towards each other. Church, that has been put to death. Verse 17 goes on to say, He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Last verse, verse 20, says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone in Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy people for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. That is rich scripture right there. As it talks about the unity in the body of Christ and being one, a member of one household. Jesus did the impossible. He forgives us and then he reconciles a relationship that's been broken between us and God. Because of our own things that we think we can do to fix it and get to God, we can't. Jesus does the impossible. He understands us. We are imperfect. We are flawed people. We mess up. Therefore, guess what? The church is imperfect. The church is flawed. Because since each of us individually are flawed, guess what? Together we are also flawed. Misnomer here, or, or I don't know if that's the correct word I'm using here, but um, some people think when they get married, you got your problems, I got my problems. We come together, uh, it's going to be a whole new life. Together. No, you just got twice the problems. You just learned how to bring them together under one roof, right? And, oh, I didn't expect that, but as it go. But we are, church, listen, we've got all individual flaws. We come together, guess what? We've got a big church here of flaws. That's just the way it is. And like anything else, we learn from um, about the functions and the people in a church building, um, we have flaws. But, but what do we do about that? How do we treat that? I mean, do we, do we look at each other and point fingers? Here's what I know. When we go to weddings, we don't sit there and judge the bride. And rip on the bride, do we? No. Nobody goes to a wedding like, oh, look what she's wearing. I would never wear that, right? Or, or do you believe the way she's acting right now? She should not be acting that way. I'm, I'm posting about this when I get home. Maybe I'm going to post right now, right? And, we, and we, so we, we make fun of the bride. And we, nobody would ever do that, would we? No. Do you know the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ? This is the bride right here. And we should never rip on the bride. And I will be this, I'll be the first to admit, I've, I've, I've ripped on the bride before. I've made fun of the bride before. I remember getting out of college and making fun of the church that I grew up in, saying it's so legalistic, it's so this and so that. And it wasn't until I got older that somebody sort of corrected me and said, Rex, that's the bride of Christ. 
don't make fun of the bride. And I've had to learn that. It's so hard, right? Because it's very easy to pick on other churches or our own church. But we learn here that the church is called the bride of Christ. Don't pick on the bride. There was a time um, when I had resigned from a church I was at, and um, we were sort of hanging out on New Year's, and, you know, we invited a bunch of our friends over, and you know how it works with friends. You all probably have similar beliefs, right? That's why they're at your house. Well, some of us had similar beliefs about the leadership of the church. Loved my church, really did, okay? But there were some things in leadership I did not agree with. So it was easy to complain about that. And so as we all gathered to, to play games on that New Year's night, you know, we broke out the board games, card games. The first thing we did wasn't prayer, okay? He's like, oh, you all godly. No. First thing we did is we sat down and we said, okay, um, listen, we're all friends from the church here, so here's the first rule. Tonight, no complaining about the church. No one's allowed to make fun of the church, complain about the church, uh, because you know why? Because I, I could have very easily led that charge. And I want to be held accountable. So I understand this. It's the bride of Christ, right? So unfortunately, here's the thing. We are, we are sometimes critical of the church, we're critical, not so much of the, of the people in the front in the church. Maybe sometimes we're critical of the pastor, critical of the worship team, critical of a, of a teacher or a volunteer somewhere. It's easy to become critical of somebody in the building, right? But I think more often we become critical of the people sitting across the aisle from us. I think sometimes that's where the biggest criticism comes. You're like, oh, I'm not going to go to that church. You know why? Because I know so-and-so goes to that church. Oh, you know, you know the way they voted. You ever see their political views? Oh, do you remember? Do you see what they did in public? Oh my goodness! And they go to that church? I'm not going to that church. It's, it's easy to become critical of a church because of the people within the church. And, and and guess what? The person that's saying all that is just as imperfect and flawed as the person they're picking on. It's true. We're, we're all that way. It's just that some of us are better at hiding our, our sins and our critical spirits and other people. Here's the thing I know. Be aware that having a critical spirit will separate you from the church. It will. When my dad um, had an accident many years ago, he got his hand caught in a saw, took off his thumb, first finger, middle finger, and into his fourth one, and right away, take him to the emergency room. Uh, they decided to transport him from South Bend down to Indianapolis. So I rode in the back of the ambulance with my father, hand all bandaged, packed tightly. Fingers were laying there in ice, and I'm in the back of the, the ambulance with him laying there. It was the longest three hours ever, right? And then to get there and then to wait on the surgical team to get around to prepare for all this. And here, here's my concern. I understand this. The longer something in your body stays detached from your body, the harder it is to reattach it. My concern was if they don't get this attached soon, it may not take and hold. It's the same way with the church. If you've got a critical spirit and you're detaching yourself from the church, be careful. Because the longer you are detached from the church, the harder it is to come back. God can do amazing things. He can revive anybody's heart at any time. But I do know it's a lot harder when we have detached ourselves from the church. Church, this is why Jesus Christ came and he died for us. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to reconcile the relationship with the God of this universe. He wants us also to reconcile relationships with each other. Once reconciled, here's what happens. The church comes together to worship. Not people, 
but to worship God. And we have to be alert to the fact that the, our worship of God is hindered when we lose sight of where our eyes are supposed to be. If my eyes are focused on people and what they're doing and how they're acting in church, or I've lost sight of why I came. Oh, come let us adore him, right? Oh, come let us adore him. That's the way the song goes. Sorry, in my mind I had this hymn going or the song going. It isn't, oh, come let us rip on somebody. Oh, come let us judge another. It's, oh, come let us adore him. That's what worship is. In verse 16, it said this, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. When, when, when you look at these scriptures, you realize that's truth. Now the question is, how do I live this out? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and we'll, we'll, we'll put this into action. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Here's where we, now we, we, we know the truth of God's word, okay? Now how do we experience it? How do we, how do we live out being the church? Starting in verse 23, it says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God could be trusted to keep his promise. Here's the first thing. Let us hold tightly to the hope. Where's our hope at? Our hope we discover is in truth, our foundation. You're going to discover it in this, this passage. Well, let me just read on. Verse 24, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. If you notice in this passage, there's three let us. This is a, this is a team effort, church. Three times the writer said, hey, let us. Let us. He goes, let us hold tight. Let us think of ways. Let us not neglect meeting together. It's like, guys, we got to do this together. This is a church effort. This is the body of Christ effort. And the first thing we see in verse 24 is to hold tightly to the hope we have, our foundation. But then he says, let us think of ways. Let us, let's focus our thoughts. Our thoughts always occur prior to action, don't they? Sometimes like, man, you were acting without thinking. But the truth is, we think about something and we act on it. It's the way it typically works. Where are our thoughts? If our thoughts are in the right place, the proper action is going to follow. And the author says, to think or to consider this is, this is a deep reflection. This is going from bottom to top. I'm thoroughly thinking through this moment right now. I'm thinking through the action that needs to take place, but I'm thinking through this truth first. And then the scripture goes on to say, well, what are we considering? Let us consider, let us think, what? What is that I'm supposed to be pondering right now? What is it that I'm supposed to be thinking deeply about right now? He says this, ways to motivate one another, ways to spur on one another is what the scripture says. This word's a combination of two Greek words. One means to come alongside, and the other part of the word means to sharpen. So when these words are put together here, what we're getting is a picture of a prodding. It's, it's, it's an impelling a person towards something. It can go both negative and in a positive direction if you want. For instance, uh, that prodding uh, in the negative direction means I could really irritate somebody with my prodding, with my nagging. You know, come, come on, you need to do this. It's like, leave me alone, right? We could irritate somebody with our prodding or we could encourage somebody with our prodding. 
encouraging them forward into the right direction. And the way scripture is, the way the writer used it is to spur one another, to motivate one another towards what? Love and good works. That, that's what the prodding goes towards. It's, it's making a conscious, well thought out effort to stimulate somebody in the right direction. How can I help so-and-so go from here to here in a positive direction? That's what we're talking about here in the scripture. Our own actions are either going to help somebody or discourage somebody. The question is, what are we doing? Last week, we talked about loving others and sharing our faith with people who don't know God. That's evangelism. Now we're talking about the church. And here, what, what we're talking about here is, what am I doing with my brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them? I'm reaching out to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's evangelism. I'm reaching out to somebody who does know Jesus. That's the church. And I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to spur them on. Galatians 6.10, you'll see this in your rooted workbook this week. Therefore, whatever we ha- whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of the church, the family of faith. That's you. Whenever I have the opportunity to do something good, do it. Especially if it's for somebody in the church, for somebody of a Christian faith. How often do we do that? Whenever you have the opportunity. Uh, in your Bibles, you might want to write this down. You'll see it again later this week. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. I'll put it on the screen. But again, it's going to be a flyover. This, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, is incredible application for living out your faith. You want to, here's truth. Now here's how you experience it. Let me give you a, a quick read here, starting in verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Some of us are good at faking love, right? It's like, uh, I got this for you because I really care. Do you really care? Stop faking. Really love them. Show them love. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Another scripture translation on that verse is outdo one another in showing love. Outdo sounds like a competitive thing, right? I'm going to compete with anybody in this church to outlove everybody else. Okay? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine three, four hundred people trying to outlove one another? That would be amazing. But that word outdo is also a leadership word. It means to take point. Outdo one another. I'm going to take point. I'm going to take lead in showing you how to love others. Who's going to follow that command? Who wants to experience that? Goes on, verse 11, saying this. Never be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Wow. A lot of practical application in those verses. Again, Romans 12, 9 through 16. Write it down. Spend time in that scripture this week. Read through it. Meditate on it. A full list of reminding. This is what it looks like to be a family of faith. I don't know how many years ago we did a sermon series called uh, Our Family. And we talked about what our family, this church, is going to be like. And I remember that series someday. I'd like to maybe go back and do it again. But 
this right here, living out the scripture. This is what the family of faith does. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and we read this. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here's the, la the last let us portion of scripture. This is the last team effort, and here it is. We're not to neglect our meeting together. What causes us to stop meeting? I mean, why do people stop coming to church? It could be a variety of reasons, okay? Travel, work, sickness, ball games, dance recitals, concerts. There's all kinds of things that are going on in today's world with busy schedules. It happens that we're going to miss church, okay? But let's go a little bit deeper because sometimes people stop meeting for other reasons that are beyond a busy schedule. Sometimes it's, well, church is irrelevant. Church is boring. I can't relate to this. Or here's another thing. Maybe you just don't agree with what's being taught or what's being said. And I obviously believe it's important that we agree on biblical foundations and it's okay to disagree on other things. I'll, I'll say it like this. This is non-negotiable. It's God's word, okay? No negotiating on this. When it's preached, it's preached. What is negotiable? Maybe things that we, we do in expressing our faith. Uh, worship. Some people like pianos and organs. Other people like a full band. Some people like um, older songs. Some people like newer songs. Everybody's got a different style and feel for worship, right? That's negotiable. That's okay. I understand. God's word's non-negotiable. So there are certain things that we look at and we say, well, I can agree or disagree. I heard something um, this week because I was looking at how super sensitive I believe everybody has become with one another. Because we all have opinions on things, right? And I believe we've become incredibly sensitive to when somebody disagrees with us. Here's the quote I heard. It's not about how we agree, but how we disagree that has become a problem. Let me say that again. It's not about how we agree, but how we disagree that has become a problem. It's obvious we're going to disagree on things. That's okay. But how we disagree with each other has become troublesome. Some people stop meeting and stop attending church because they feel defeated. Maybe they came to church and they're like, I, I felt left out, I felt isolated, I'm not as spiritual as that person over there, or I'm just feeling really defeated right now, and so I'm just not going to come to church anymore. And, and if, if there's any way in which the author of Hebrews is leaning, it's that one right there. The word that he says, let us not neglect or let us not forsake, it's that word defined is basically choosing not to gather because I am feeling isolated, I am feeling defeated. And you know what? It's when we're defeated. It's probably when we need each other the most, right? It's when we're feeling isolated and alone spiritually. That's probably when we need each other the most. So I want to ask you a question, church. And uh, you don't need to answer out loud, okay? Whose job is it to reach out when somebody isn't showing up at church? Whose job is it to reach out to somebody that hasn't been in church for a while? The pastors, the congregations, Whose job is it? When you haven't seen somebody in a while and you, you start to worry, it's like, man, I haven't seen them in a while. I, w I wonder if they're okay. Or I know people are busy today. They're probably just out and about traveling. You know, um, Here's the thing. You do not need my permission to go show you care. We don't, we don't have a you haven't been here committee at this church, okay? 
So if you're waiting for a phone call from the you haven't been here committee and you haven't gotten one, it's because we don't have one. See, the reason I always say go be the church because that's what the church does. The church looks out for each other. If you haven't seen somebody in a while, reach out to them. If you're concerned about somebody, reach out to them. And here's an easy way to do it, okay? This gets you off the hook real quick. Watch this out. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I know we have two services, so I probably have probably missed you in one of the services, but I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? Now, isn't that easy? Because you're like, well, I don't know what service they attended. Then, or maybe they've been here when I wasn't here. That's okay. It's okay to ask. You know what that means when you reach out to somebody? It's, you're, you're not the attendance police. You're just saying, I care, and I haven't seen you in a while. I just want to make sure you're doing okay. Because in Scripture, we find out people do feel neglected. They feel defeated. They feel alone. They feel like, I, I can't do this. And so they do detach. As the body of Christ, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. Picture right now your physical body. Arms bleeding. Okay? We all know what to do. You know, you cut yourself on your arm. But what would happen if your brain said, that's not my problem. Because it's the arm. And and what if your eyes are like, I'm not going to look. Because I know stomach is sensitive to blood. So my eyes are not going to look. You know, the body just becomes dysfunctional. Somebody is in need. That's when the body says, you know what, I am going to look stomach. I know you're, but you'll be okay. You'll be all right. But we need to help arm right now. That's the way the body of Christ works. When somebody is detached or struggling in their faith, the body of Christ looks out for each other. We encourage each other. The word for encourage here is actually uh, parakaleo in Greek, which means, again, to come alongside. I've, we've heard this phrase used before in John when Jesus was saying, I'm leaving, but when I leave, I will send my comforter. I will send a counselor who will be with you. That is the Holy Spirit. That's the other word for the Holy Spirit, parakaleo. So we see this again where we're being encouraged to come alongside people. That's the, that's the church. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You see, as a church, we, we collectively come together to sing, to pray, to worship, to take communion. We'll be taking communion next Sunday. To baptize. In January, we'll be having a baptismal service in here. We do these things collectively as a church, but individually, individually, we gather, we encourage each other, we spur one another on, we, we motivate one another. As a body believers, church, we are, we're flawed, okay? First one up here, you see, okay, we're flawed, but you know what else? Also, we're we're forgiven. We are, at times, um, imperfect, definitely, but we are infused by the Holy Spirit. You may not always have warm, fuzzy feelings when you come to church. I, I get that, okay? But it's not about you having warm, fuzzy feelings that's okay. Our focus is to seek and to adore God with everything we got. And we come together gathering as a privilege to open up foundational truths so that when we leave this place, we're able to be the church, to spur one another on towards good deeds and love, and to encourage one another so that nobody's neglecting coming together. Would you stand, please? 
That's the church. That is the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are part of the church. And this church is big, and I'm not just talking true north. I'm talking throughout Wauseon and surrounding communities, northwest Ohio, throughout the United States. Globally, the body of Christ is big. Thank you that we can be a part of it. We're just, we're just like a small part of the body right here. But Lord, protect this body from the attacks that come from within our own fears and anxieties and doubts to the attacks from outside of persecution. Protect this church body. Help us, Heavenly Father, to not forsake coming together, to not neglect our time with each other, but help us to encourage one another. Help us to spur one another on in motivating each other towards good deeds and doing the things that you've shown us that we can do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, the truth, which is our foundation, so that we can be rooted in it, so that as we grow in our faith, we can see the spiritual fruits of love and peace and joy and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Lord, help us to live out our faith and to experience the fullness of this truth, but to do it together as the body of Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In thy name we pray. Amen.